Never had it so good. 101.1 radio, the best R&B and hip hop music. The Quiet Storm every Friday and Saturday. Talk radio with the best host in the business. 
Sports Talk Radio Every weekend night with Princess Cooper Never had it so good radio Now on 101.1 And it's 24-7 The world's best radio In this day and time Stereotypes are the false descriptions For all of humanity James T. Deshay is the author of two great poetry books that attempt to describe life from a male perspective. It has been a common belief that men are unable to put into words their deepest feelings and spend most of their time focused on the surface of what life means. Thoughts, love, and reflections, and passion, desire, and contemplation take you on a journey that has very few travelers. Mr. Deshay has opened his heart and spirit up in ways that few have ever experienced. The depth of his poetry will have you reading his books and poems over and over again. You will find yourself using his passages to describe your own feelings to your family and friends. It is now time to put aside your thoughts and feelings related to the depth of men's thoughts and delve deeply into the words of James T. Deshay. Once again, he will put an end to your thoughts that men can't translate their heartfelt spirit into words. Both of these books will allow you to find comfort in the reality of the heart of men. You will spend hours trying to embrace the way men want to love and display their passion to the women they love. Don't be fooled by those books that create love through words of lust, vulgarity, and unhealthy displays of sexual activities. You will discover the types of words that will allow you to rejoice in the future of what love truly means to men. Your book clubs and families will be able to discuss these words without fear. No one will have to leave the room. Both of these books can be purchased at jamestdeshay2.com and lulu.com. Feel free to reach out to the author at tlreflectionsjtd at gmail.com. This is James T. Deshay, the host of Thoughts, Love, and Reflections, brought to you by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. As always, you know I'm pleased and excited to be here. And tonight, as just as much as any other night, we have Mr. Higgins here every other Saturday. And tonight he's going to uh, share with us some black history that all of us need to know and go into a serious depth uh, in letting us understand some of the characteristics of the heroes of our past. How are you doing today, Mr. Higgins? I'm fine. Are you, Mr. Deshay? I'm doing fine. Just excited about being here with you and let you do what you do. So uh, All right. let's, uh, let's get started. All right, well, tonight we're going to talk about Marcus Mosaic Garvey. And, and it was, it's important that we speak about him because last time we spoke, we spoke about the support of black business and the black industry and things of that nature. And we, today, in, in respect to Black History Month, we're going to talk about one of the most successful black businessmen in the United States um, at one point in time who would never touch the stock market. So Marcus Mosea Garvey was one of the successful black men to have um, run business in the United States and um, never touched the stock market. 
So we have to not only recognize him for his um, galvanization of us as a race and uplifting us as a race and as a people, but we also have to recognize him that um, his ingenuity in, in creating um, an economy for us in our community. So that's, you know, he's a twofold, um, you know, a representation in our community. Also, with the fact that, coupled with the fact that many people are unaware that Marcus Garvey was a devout Christian. So when, you know, when we study, you know, we don't, we don't hear too much about um, Marcus Garvey, more or less we speak about, you know, the Martin Luther King and, you know, Mal- Malcolm X and those, those leaders in the struggle. But, you know, we're talking about Marcus Garvey who um, led this fight, you know, like 50 years prior to these gentlemen and uh, their contributions. So, when you know, when we talk about Marcus Garvey, he's a, a very complex character because he's originally from you know, the West Indies, originally from Jamaica. And um, he came to the United States, you know, after after um, touring the, the, um, the Caribbean. And um, after after going around the Caribbean and, you know, um, working in the Caribbean and in, in, in different, um, different um, like Belize, Panama, um, and, and Central America, he noticed that the black man around the world around, had, had had no power. You know, they were all laborers and they were all, you know, relegated to a, a you know, a, a marginalized position. So Marcus Garvey uh, felt that, um, you know, that um, it was upon, took it upon himself, you know, to represent the black man to, to, to bring, to, to rise up his status. You know, one of he's been quoted as saying, um, you know, he was um, born in the time of monarchies when, you know, when they were kings, it wasn't just prime ministers and presidents. You know, you know, countries were ruled by monarchs. So he one thing he said, who's the black man's king? He didn't see one, so he said, he'll step up and be it. And thank God that he did because, you know, he gave us the flag, the red, black, and the green flag. He gave us the United Negro Improvement Association. And you know he gave us a legacy and a um a foundation that we that we that we could build upon. And I want to open up with some words from um from Marcus Garvey to to um just to give the um the the the, the listening audience a, 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 a snippet of 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 um of of, the, of this man's stature and in his in his thinking. So I'm gonna say, must I flatter you? When I find all other peoples preparing themselves for the struggle to survive, and you still smiling, eating, dancing, drinking, and sleeping away your time as if yesterday were the beginning of an age of pleasure, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell empathetically that if we do not seriously reorganize ourselves as people and face the world with a program of African nationalism, our days and civilization are numbered, and it will only be a question of time when the Negro will be as completely and complacently dead as a North American Indian or the Australian Butchman. So Marcus Garvey, he was, he was not one of the mints for words. He, you know, he was, he was straight out. He was flat out. And, you know, and he, and he spoke from that platform in terms about very bluntly. And that's in, 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 we needed that in those days and times, and we need that now. And now we have to understand that with this man, when he um, created the UNIA, it was basically 50 years after slavery. So, you know, this man was faced with the insurmountable task of, insurmountable task of trying to galvanize people who have been marginalized to the point where, you know, they haven't been slaves. They, you know, they're descendants of slaves. They were actually, you know, the next generation after slaves, you know, the slaves were still here. So people that were, 
slavery is still here. So, you know, he had a, 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 a very hard task, to, you know, in terms of galvanizing our people. And even then, in that time, you know, you see there were, there were many black people who didn't feel that there was, there was something to do. And it's unfortunate that, that he said this quote then, and, you know, the turn of the century, turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, and here we're now in the turn of the 21st century, and we're still basically in the same position. So it is up to us, you know, so we have to look back at um, at someone like Marcus Garvey and who gave, who basically gave us a blueprint, you know what I mean, in terms about in, in every distinctive um, um, character, characteristic in terms of how to behave ourselves. Another quote, another quote from the brother is this. Morality is upheld everywhere in civilization. Don't be immoral in your community. Somebody will tell on you and expose you. And the homes of the community will be closed against you, and respectable people will shun you. If you have to be immoral because your nature is weak, then hide it. Keep it within closed doors, and be sure nobody knows about it. If you read good books and think lawfully, you will not be immoral. If you are intelligent, you will not be immoral, because immorality leads to disease, to pain, to suffering, and ultimately to premature death. An immoral person cannot find good company because no good person wants to take the chance with the immorality. So those who cater to your immorality must be people who have no character and who have nothing to lose. They must be either sick or diseased themselves, therefore don't care. No respectable woman or man who cares about his or her future going into is going to be indiscriminate because that is taking chances. Therefore, when you find a person of immoral habits, it is someone who has lost all proportion of decency and health and doesn't care. Such a person is a social danger. Sensible people do not give themselves away for nothing, but sick people and diseased people, like a drowning man, catch out a straw. Never be seen with those people in your community or a person of bad character. You will be roped in and even through their character, be good, be good. it will also suffer because of your association with that person. See, this is the things Marcus Garvey. This is one. And this is one of his books, Life Lessons of Marcus Garvey. So, this is the things that these are the these are the, the type of um, instances in terms about what, what, what how he was building character. He wasn't just um, speaking against you know um, out against about about, about white people. And, 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 the, and the funny thing about it, because that's mostly what he's associated with. He was spoken bluntly about everything. And the thing about it is, is that. One thing the Negro leader, a lot of Negro leaders at the time have a beef with Marcus Garvey was about was because that he arranged, he had arranged a meeting to try to meet with the Ku Klux Klan. Because this is the time when lynchings were prevalent in the United States of America. You know, between 1865 and 1965, there was 100 years of lynching after slavery. So Marcus Garvey at the time, he was trying to be effective in terms about um, creating a program that would effectively, you know, um, 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 Rendered lynching um, obsolete, so he um, wanted to sit down with the Ku Klux Klan in terms about sit down with his enemy so that he could work so so they could come to some kind of accord so that they could reduce the lynchings and actually eliminate them. So this this is the type of leader that we had in terms about that he was fearless, and this is these are the things that we need to instill in our children, instill instill in our instill in our adults as well because. We have lost many of the teachings that we have. We have the blueprint in terms about how to behave and how to achieve achieve um, um, moral success and economic success. And Marcus Garvey gave us the blueprint. 
Let, let me ask you, why do you think he was so committed to segregation? Why was he so committed and uh, to the point where other leaders um, thought he was he wanted to keep us uh, in the wrong perspective? But a lot of people now think we should have stayed segregated. But why do you think he was so committed to segregation? Well, um, at the time when Marcus Garvey was um, um, in, in active, segre- um, in terms of desegregation, wasn't something that was on the table. Um, that didn't come along uh, come along until later. Marcus Garvey was about being pro-African. He was about um, giving black people pride. He was about in creating businesses, and he wasn't against any other race. See, that's the see. That's one of the that's one of the misnomers about him. Um, I'm, I can read a quote now from him from one of his books. It says, "Let no man feel that he has exclusive right to the world, and other men, and other men none. And let no hold on, excuse me. Let no black man feel that he has exclusive right to the world, and other men none. And let no white man feel that way either. The world is the property of all mankind, and each and every group is entitled to its portion." The black man now wants his, and in terms of uncompromising, he is asking for it. So it wasn't that he was against, um, in terms about, in terms about integrating. He was, uh, in terms about, he was an advocate for us to be able to stand for ourselves and advocate for ourselves. We're talking about it at a time when you know where ra- um, racism was blatant, and it wasn't, it wasn't. Um, you know, it was it was in the literature and as well it, well in the attitudes of the people. We're talking about a time when lynching was prevalent. We're talking about a time when um, we we had you know at least twenty to fifteen to twenty lynchings per day. So you know we we're not talking about a, you know a time what we're dealing with now in terms about in terms of time, it was a time where people thought that it was um, the ideology was about meshing and you know cohabitating with Caucasians. It was about basically. Us saving our lives, and you know what I'm saying, making sure that you know that we're not the um the, the burden of brutal attacks. Because at that time, you know, we were we were the brunt of brutal attacks and wanted attacks at, at random. So and then and, um another thing that um which he advocated for was in terms of many people are under the assumption that he had to go back to Africa movement. Well, the go back to Africa movement was was an option. It was an option for people to go back to Africa if they wanted to go back to Africa, and it also was an opportunity for him to bring raw materials from Africa, like coffee, bananas, um, chocolate, and um, you know the raw the um the, the um the raw materials that we use in in, in the day to day things, so we could open um create businesses businesses in the United States. So it wasn't just like a go back to Africa movement. And unfortunately, one of the things that um, <laughs> at that time, many of the Negro leaders, um, like if I'm saying A. Philip Randolph was one, W. B. Du Bois, you know, they, you know, these people they spoke out against Marcus Garvey because you know, and you know, they were um, Judas foes in terms about they were on both sides of you know, of the fence in terms about you know they were um, you know, primarily puppeteers for Caucasians and you know, um, many people you know. Don't you know? Don't don't have them going to go into the history because you know they you know they read books like with um um you know W. B. Du Bois made with the Philadelphia Negro and things of that nature. But we got to understand in this country they have this thing called the Talented Tenth, and the Talented Tenth in this country was a group of people, a group of black people 
who were designated to be the people that were going to be to reap the benefits of um, or or be the social the, the social um, <laughs> between in between the poor blacks and and, and Caucasians. So this talented temp, you know, they you know, were the W. B. Du Boises, the um, um, Carter G. Woodsons, the um, um, Booker T. Washingtons. This group of people, they um, advocated basically for the for the for the for the upper class blacks. You know what I'm saying? And these were blacks that came from slavery that were able, um, you know, biracial. You know what I'm saying? And um, and, and were able to inherit property from the slave masters because they um, because they had um, because they were followed by slave masters. So a lot of these people went to um, to, went to um, the funeral business. A lot of these people had like small stores in the community, and these were the first businesses in the black community. And these were the um, the, the, were the children of slave owners. So these people also were the first ones that um, sent their kids to college, and they, we created the fraternities, sororities that we know now, Phi Beta Kappa and Zeta Sigma, and the rest of those those fraternities, sororities. So many of these came out of this talented temp. So this talented temp um, was always the upper crust of, of of black people, and it never really was the focus was on the masses. And this is why, and this is what Marcus Garvey's focus was on helping the masses of black people. And it wasn't just, you know, you're in terms about the black people in the United States. It was about basically uniting black people all around the, around the globe, whether you were in the Caribbean, whether you were in Africa, whether you were in the United States, wherever you at. Because like Marcus Garvey, like I said, Marcus Garvey originally was from Jamaica. He was born in Jamaica, and um, you know what I'm saying. And like when he said when he went when he went when he made his way to the United States to Harlem. He prior to that he went through the he went through the um through Central America and he saw that the black man all throughout through Central America was poor. So when he got to Harlem, you know what I'm saying he was actually he was inspired by Booker T. Washington to try to create a movement. And when he got to Harlem, for thank God he was able to create his movement. Uh, it, it does seem that Marcus Garvey was uh, comfortable almost everywhere he went. He spent some time in England. Um, he, he was uh, a mainstay in the Caribbeans, and uh, he was big in New York and in South and in and in, in, in South um, in the Southern states in the United States as well. So why is it that you feel like he felt so comfortable everywhere he went? Well, that would be. A, I would imagine that would be in, in conjunction with the fact that you know he um, he was a fair man, Marcus Garvey. Um, Although his, the UNIA they they sold they stole stock into into the company and they had um basically was dealing with millions of dollars from off of pennies and nickels and dimes, um Marcus Garvey lived humbly in an apartment on 129th Street in Harlem on the uptown side. So you know he didn't live in a big mansion. He didn't you know what I'm saying like where we see most other leaders or most other people who who you know create businesses. You know he lived right in the community. So. <clears throat> um, he was um, he was actually reachable by all, so he you know so that might make made, you know, his disposition and the fact that he instilled pride in um in the black community. He created a flag, he created a uniform. You know what I mean? Actually, Marcus Garvey, um, his teachings is also what created the Rastafari movement. Um, we, we know you know was called the called the Rastafarians because what happened was was that unfortunately unfortunately um, J Edgar Hoover and the FBI worked um um worked religiously to try to um to try to, to um to try to, to um to um to push him out of power 
And um, what happened was was that um, you know the one the first black FBI agent was uh, was was a black man. The first black FBI agent was hired by J. Edgar Hoover to take down Marcus Garvey. One of the he was um, that was actually one of the guys that were um, was one of the captains of his ships. And you know what I'm saying? There was you know sabotaging the ships and making them pay overpriced. He was paying overpriced for for um for uh, for the ships that he was buying, for the for the liners that he was buying, the Black Star liner he created. So you know he was he, you know there was there was there were entities working against him. You know what I mean in regards to you know the slander him his character and you know and basically you know um to take him to take him out of action. You know what I'm saying they got him on um mail fraud. So it wasn't even um it wasn't even something and that was something that. He would have um, something of somebody with that statue with the greater business he had. That's something that he would have had, would have been hands on anyway. <clears throat> in terms about dealing and dealing and physically dealing with the mail. So, so that's when they um they deported him and they sent him to England. And then eventually he went back to Jamaica where he died. You know what I'm saying? He died in Jamaica. You know what I'm saying? Because they basically wanted to shame him. But um, but what he created um and and, and the pride that he instilled in the black community um. It's been a challenge to today. You know what I'm saying? You know, whenever we see red, black, and green, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, like we see on some Jordans or we see with like Spike Lee or we see the flag or whenever we see the, 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 the those colors together, that's um, that's attributed to Marcus Garvey. You know what I mean? The United Negro Improvement Association. You know what I'm saying? The sense of pride that he, that he, that he instilled. You know, and like I said, back to the Rastafari movement, what happened was, was that with the Rastafari movement, once he got deported and this, that, and other, he said, look to Africa for his next king, for the next prince. You know what I mean? So what happened was when Haile Selassie, um, you know, became king of Ethiopia, um, you know what I'm saying, the, the, um, the, the Jamaicans, the Jamaica, a group of a set of Jamaicans in Jamaica took on how part of his name. Haile Selassie's name is Rastafari Haile Selassie. So the Rastafarians took on a portion of his name, and, and they, and, you know, and they created <laughs> um basically this religious set. Now, what most people don't understand about the Rastafarians is that they didn't adopt a dreadlock um, hairstyle. That was, um, and it was created by Leonard Howell. Leonard Howell was a follower of Marcus Garvey who went back to Jamaica after the new UNIA was defunct. So, what happened was when Leonard Howell and them came back to started the, um, Started the Rastafari, or started the um, started a movement back in um, in, in Jamaica. They adopted the name Rastafari when Haile Selassie was crowned, um, um, you know, king of Ethiopia. And we, if you know the history of Haile Selassie, his heritage is supposed to date back to Solomon. I mean, you know, in the Bible. So what happened was they adopted the name Rasta, um, Rastafari. So what, what happened was the Mau Mau's in Kenya, when they started fighting the British, and Jamaica's a British colony, when the Kenyans started fighting the British, they wore these dreadlocks, and the Kenyans were beating the British. So what happened was when in the newspapers in Jamaica, they saw that the British, they saw the Kenyans wearing this dreadlock hairstyle, and the, um, the Rastafarians started adapting the dreadlock hairstyle. So that's how the hairstyle came about. The hairstyle didn't come about, it wasn't initially a part, a part of the Rastafari movement. It was something that was adopted later on. But, but, but initially, Marcus Garvey, was, even the Rastafarian movement, was an exception from you know from Marcus Garvey's teachings. All right, let's take a short break and come back and involve our uh, our audience. Okay. Hello, I'm the music major. This is my man Jay Andre. He got a question to ask. Talk to him, Jay. Is there anybody in love? 
James T. Deshaies, the host of Thoughts, Love, and Reflections, brought to you seven days a week, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in at 657-383-0309. As I looked over the... um, and did some research, I found it very interesting that Marcus Garvey was owner of a shipping uh, line as well as uh, a movement of people. And you know and I both know that anytime you're talking about uh, some of the richest people in the world are involved in cargo ships and luxury ships uh, to transport people. Why do you think it is in 20? Uh, 18, we still don't have a uh, a leader who is interested in those kind of primary industries where billions and billions of dollars are being made. Well, uh, good evening, everybody, and uh, and thank you, James, mm-hmm. for having Mr. Higgins on on the show again. Okay. Uh, that's that's a, actually a good question, James. Uh, that was going to be in part. Uh, my question for Mr. Higgins, and uh, the question that I had lined up for him is um, uh, understanding, understandably, we uh, have uh, generational differences between uh, the, 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 uh, the black people of, of Marcus Garvey's day, um, which is you know, in, the, in the time of uh, 1955 uh, up into the 60s. Um, and and people of the day, and um, my question was going to be, uh, what in in your travels and experiences and, and studies, and and talking to people, uh, how would you uh, signify the differences in generations when it comes down to uh, the people of of Marcus Garvey Day and Dr. King Day? They they found an urgency to. Um, to be uh, steadfast and try to obtain, if nothing else, greatness or even awareness. And when it comes down to today's person, today's person seems to be in the utmost state of complacency and have no real, um, uh, no real interest. It seems to me of uh, trying to break that complacency. Uh, how, how would you clarify the, the two differences in generations? Well, to to, to bring exact clarity, Marcus Garvey's from the turn of the 1900s, so he's like from like 1915, 1913, 1917, 1918. He's in that, in that time period. Thank you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So it's it's okay because you know we we need we need clarity because what happens is is that. Our, our heroes and most of this lumped up in this in this twenty eight days, so you know we don't really get a lot of information about them. You know what I mean? So and then what happens is, is that and even though and, and it's still a, it's still a generation the generational differences is that one of the most damaging effects is you know in terms about to the day and even from from Marcus Garvey's time period up until um. You know Malcolm X and um, Martin Luther King in, in in their time period. What we have a difference is is that we, what we now have is integration. 
And what happens is is that with this integration, you know, see, we gotta, we have to understand something about perception. We're older, and we look, we we still feel the civil rights movement. We still feel the '60s. We still feel that in our psyche. You know what I mean? Okay, the children don't feel that. The children feel like, oh, we've arrived and everything is great now. That was then and this is now. So they are under the illusion that, they, you know, everything has changed and everything is fine and, you know, everything is, you know, that was some old stuff and, they don't, you know, they're not under the same pressures. Well, unfortunately, they are under the same exact pressures, just it's just structured different. And so, you know, we gotta, we have, we have to make that connection and make that realization that our children have, their, you know, their psyche is attached to, you know, you know, comedy movies, gangster rap, um, you know, you know, just basically degenerate behavior from what they've been exposed to through the Nickelodeon, through Disney, and and all of these things. So, in terms about the civil rights struggle, they think, you know, the year they heard about it, and, you know, that, that's, you know, that's, and we have to look at that, and if we want to look at that, we have to look at the, how the educators have taught it, how they've taught education to our children, and how they taught our history, is, you know, and in terms about, when you look at it like, you say, like, if I wanted to teach, if I was a teacher, and I wanted to teach Scottish history, if I wanted to teach the history of Scotland, you know, how authentic or how, or, you know, um, Accurate what somebody assumed the information was. How would they know that I know so much about Scotland? You know what I mean? So we have to look at it when we look at how these other people educate our children about our history, how accurate and how passionate can they express about our history when they have no connection to it? And that's what we have, and that's what we have to realize why, why our children are disassociated with connection because it's been presented to, it's been presented to them in a manner that's frivolous, like it's passe, like it's going, you know, like yeah, you know that happened, and you know let's go, let's go on to the next, and that's you know and that's the difference. Uh, we find ourselves in a situation uh, where individuals don't see the need uh, to develop their own. Network of of product line, and and they they will give their name to other national uh, brands of things, but we're not creating our own brand of things. And seemingly, soon as our brand of things become worth something, we're willing to sell them off. So how do we get around? Um, not recognizing the importance of establishing our own brand uh, to the point where it, we we take ownership of it. Well, I mean, you know, at the end, at the root of the problem is the reason why our brands don't stand and don't don't thrive is because ultimately, subconsciously, we don't think anything connected to us was worth anything. You know, in the in the nineties, you had a a proliferation of all kind of brands: Mecca, Sean John, Rockaware, Fat Farm. You had all of these black, you know, brands. And um, in terms, in terms, in terms of these things, but you know, but at the end of the day, you got to follow the money. And if you realize, none of those people. Although even though they even though they looked as they seemed that they were in charge of the brands, they were still just um. 
um, you know, in, you know, endorsers or, or product endorsers, you know. So the thing, the matter, the matter, and how do those brands disappear? Because you know, we put more stock in Versace and Louis Vuitton and things that you know of other, you know, the brands from Italy, you know, in terms about, you know, because in terms about clothes, Italy, in terms about has most of, you know, the, the finest wares and things of that nature. So we put more stock in that and then to, to ourselves, you know what I mean? So, you know, we look at more of the Versace, the Fendi, the Gucci, and, you know, we went more with that and, you know, instead of not realizing that, you know, what our dollars, you know, that, that those companies at one time were small companies just like the, you know, the, the Sean Johns and the, you know, the Fab Palms and the FUBUs at one time, you know, and, you know, it was through patronage patronage that, you know, they were able to, you know, to, you know, to mess into the, you know, you know, fashion powerhouses. But, you know, we, you know, we lack the support. We don't support, like, you know, that was our last show where, you know, we don't support our businesses and it's even on, on a large scale. And, you know, and you know, and, and often we go into in industries, you know, where we we, we don't we, we we don't have any wholly significant power. So, this you know, it, it goes back even on a small scale, on the microeconomics or macroeconomics. You know, you know, black people, you know, we fail to support each other. You know, and that's and that and that's to our detriment economically. Uh, let me go to Audrey. Audrey, we are in an environment now where we feel comfortable. Um, on the red carpet, we feel comfortable um, uh, with the elite uh, on all different levels. But why don't we feel comfortable enough to establish ourselves and take ownership of uh, corporations and make ourselves the the CEO of a major brand uh, by promoting them to uh, to to us? Well, uh, Superior Sunday to everyone, and I'm so glad we have this topic tonight. And uh, I must admit, when I first saw the topic, um, Marcus Garvey, I've recently become introduced to him uh, in a little more in-depth. It's not that I wasn't aware of him, but I'm just starting to, again, study and, and truly understand what a remarkable man uh, he was, and you know his philosophy, his his commitment, his dedication. And um, mm-hmm. someone said earlier that you know, unfortunately, we don't take time, or and I paraphrase in the way I received it, we don't take time to study and understand our heritage. And you know, mm-hmm. we talk about the importance of children, and I'm always an advocate for our children because they're our future. And, you know, we can't look for our children to do if we're not really in tune or knowledgeable enough to help them to understand the steps that's necessary to understand the rich history in which we have. And Marcus Garvey, I mean, I'm talking about um, a businessman, um, you asked the question, uh, how did he feel comfortable and all that. I think it was because he was confident within himself, and uh, he understood the, the qualities and the gift and the intellect and that all that he had, and he, he was a uh, he was a warrior in, uh, in the sense of not being fearful, wanted to bring others along. So when we talk about, James, how do we approach supporting each other and and uh, branding and 
and being um, recognized for the um, uh, different companies and that type of thing. It takes us doing just like we're we're doing now, uh, Mm -hmm. becoming informed, uh, becoming prideful, and again, being committed and, and dedicated, each of us have a uh, passion, if you will, for something. And um, whatever it is, we will stand for it, we'll fight for it, we'll work for it, or whatever. And I think when we have a group of people that come together that has the same passion and commitment for this type of heritage, uh, which will be the type of legacy we want to leave. Uh, that's when we'll start supporting each other and um, helping mm-hmm. each other along the way. You know, when I go to black uh, festivals and stuff, it's, it's such a sense of pride to not only see um, the beauty that we possess on the outside, but just to know the strength and the knowledge and the courage and the pride that we have as a people. You know, so often we just let that slide. And uh, I'm so glad we're talking about this tonight. And, again, I'm just embarrassed until I became involved with a Jamaican that uh, really know their heritage and, and is committed to the philosophy of Marcus Garvey and Huey Newton, uh, that made me, uh, it caused me to go dig and, and, and research and study. So uh, that's what helped me. So I'm at least thankful for that, but ashamed that it has taken me this long. Uh, Cheryl, let me go to you and ask you, you know, we know that we've had individual success uh, at, at branding ourselves as individuals, but yet we at all the spending we do and all the travel we do, we seemingly haven't established uh, a brand of travel or a brand of hotel or a brand of uh, things. Like when you think of Marcus Garvey having a shipping company, uh, we, we just have not rise to that level uh, where we are establishing ourselves uh, where everybody is aware of what we bring to the table. Good evening, and how's everyone doing today? Um, All right. This was a man that I had no idea of, had never heard of him. Um, That's why I so look forward to this platform. I didn't have a chance from the time that you gave us his name to really read up on it. But um, Mr. Higgins, you did an excellent job as far as explaining a lot of things to us. And, and I'm speaking for me, for someone who had never heard of him. And I know that there's so many black individuals that have done so much that we don't talk about them. You know, we, we talk about the same ones over and over where we're not exposing, you know, our children to them as well because the textbook is very limited as far as, you know, um, the ones they represent, uh, they go over for black history. Um, James, when you said about, you know, why we, and that's a good question too, but if we notice that, in order to get to the bigger scale, we have to first start supporting at a smaller level. 
and we just don't do it. And for the life of me, I can't understand. You know, some of it is is the crab mentality. Every time, you know, one get up, one pulling um, the next one down. Nobody wants to see the next person succeed. Nobody wants to come and help. You know, you call somebody if you're working on something and you know that they've been through that and you're trying to ask them, they're very limited on what they're trying to share with you. You know, it's Mm -hmm. so many different reasons that it's keeping us from getting to the big scale, just like you said, where where, um, Marcus Garvey um, had been and what all he accomplished. And we are not today as focused on the things that individuals were focused on back then. You know, just like um, um, Mr. Higgins was saying, you know, the younger generation believe that they have arrived. They don't feel what we are still feeling, you know, but it's, the, it's true education, true knowledge, because, I mean, this, you know, here is another one in my um, list of black people, which I've been looking over different ones, you know, since we started um, the platform with being introduced to um, black um, individuals that have been, have done things that have paved the way for us. Um, Will we get there? I don't know. Hopefully we will. Um, but we still have to start on a lower um, scale, and that's what we always, you know, we continue to say is supporting each other so that we can accomplish because it does, it takes all of us to do it. One person can accomplish it by themselves, and it means being dedicated to each other, being committed to each other. So, um, we got some work to do, but I thank you, Mr. Higgins, well, for the information. One of the things that I, one of the things I think we need to do is take advantage of these new opportunities that exist uh, to build something unique and something special. African Americans know when they are experiencing something first class. They know when they're experiencing something top of the line. They know when they're wearing something uh, that is uh, special. And we have this new way, uh, you know, this new fund me, you know, how you can fund the different things that you're you're impressed by. And I just don't understand why, when I look at the the National Museum of African American History, and it is one of the most popular uh, sites now because a lot of people are interested in us and the things that we bring to the table. So why couldn't we, like Marcus Garvey, use this new funding that is available where we all put something in to something that can be unique and special to us <coughs> and have it be as first class as the uh, National Museum of African American History and all people will come to see that, be it a resort, be it uh, 
you know, a uh, island that we purchased and and make it all about African Americans. I mean, there has to be people out there with the creativity to bring the same things he brought to life. We can bring it to life today, and so that's what I find myself wondering: why all this money that we have, trillions of dollars we have, that we can't use these new mechanisms. Uh, to create uh, some national pride, uh, Regina. What What is your thought about why we cannot galvanize ourselves in the way that some of our historians have uh, to put together something great uh, that people will acknowledge as being first class? Good evening. Um, I think um, what I'm going to say is. It's the same thing that um, the others have said. Now, I don't know why, but I see it happening in that someone gets an idea, and, for instance, here in Columbia, there was an idea to start a program or a networking program where the um, African-Americans, young millennials or anybody really with with um, ideas or businesses would come together and buy from each other and try to create the Black Wall Street that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, back in, I believe it was 1950. That date may be wrong. But it was during the time when all the black money, the, the green money stayed in the black neighborhood and it just kept circulating and circulating. So someone got an idea here to try to create that. And for a, a long while, I was trying to support these businesses. Then looking at, I saw that they were being crammed. And they started doing just what they were trying to avoid. And they weren't helping each other. Um, it became oversaturated with one particular kind of product. And so nobody seemed to have been prospering or profiting from this. And so the the group still exists, but it is much fewer members than there were before. So I don't know if we have too many organizations that are selling the same product. Um, I I don't know, you know, what's going on, but I do know that the tribology syndrome is really, really, really keeping us down. And I didn't like it, so I just, although I still seek black businesses to do business with for my daughter's birthday, everything was black business. Um, But to just watch us tear us down, it saddens me, it makes my heart just, go into palpitation, and it stresses me out. So I just don't, 
pay attention to it, and I don't know if that's wrong of me or what, but I see it. It's just so obvious. And we don't help each other. Mm-hmm. What's uh, amazing to me, um, Mr. Higgins, is is that when we look at these major organizations that we know are making uh, billions of dollars and are uh, becoming worth billions of dollars, and they're they're worth that. Look at all these pro teams, all the pro basketball teams, all the pro football teams, and these teams are worth hundreds of millions of dollars now, but yet not one pro team is controlled or or managed by a black organization. And so here you have something uh, that you could possibly come together and purchase that is going to be uh, successful because the organizations are successful. Uh, Why we can't have a chain of something uh, we've always been into the hotel business years ago. Dr. Wells here on the hotel in the 1920s, but yet we don't have any major hotels or resorts. And again, because of who we are, people would likely flock to it because as long as it is first class and handled in a first class way, people are going to uh Respect it and appreciate it. Mhm. So you said why we don't have? Yeah, why? I mean, we 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 are providing the entertainment, but we can't own the uh, the team. Cause that's because we won't accept the truth that we are the entertainment. You know, we <laughs> want to say and hello. I hear you. Go ahead. You know, um, we won't we won't accept the truth. You know, like you know, um, we won't st- You know, we won't make a stand for anything. We won't. Um, you know, we won't. Um, we won't. We won't. We won't um, do anything that um, you know in terms about in terms about resistance, even passive resistance. You know. Colin Kaepernick, you know, they were supposed to be not watching the NFL this year, you know. Everybody still watched the NFL. You know what I mean? So I mean, you know, and we have, we have to realize that um we have to realize that this affects the kids the children also because they see that, you know, we not standing anything for anything, so you know, they're not gonna stand for anything. You know what I mean? Like, we have to, you know, we have to first start realizing, you know, we have to start, start, you know, carving out things for ourselves. But, you know, because, you know, um, we're so, um, you know, um, inundated with, you know, involving everybody else in what we do, you know, we can't, um, we can't see, we can't see ourselves we can't see ourselves in terms of um, doing anything independently. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it starts on a small scale. You know what I mean? Like, when the caller said it starts on a small scale, we all support ourselves on a small scale. You know, you know, you know, we, we talk about, um, 
and it's not even in terms about a um it's not even um it's not even in terms about a like say a uh, um like uh um like like say um us like say the small people but like when you look at the Ofras and the um and all these the Steve Harveys and the you don't see them opening up businesses, you don't see them, you know, you know, you know, buying real estate and creating um, properties and all these NBA players. You don't see them do. You don't see them do. You don't see them doing anything to add to their financial portfolios. All you see is them have those contracts. You don't see any independent um, um, addition to the to, to their financial portfolios. So you know what I'm saying. And you have to question. You question their assets and even the capability. But did you know? That that shows that shows shows a lack of um, ingenuity in itself, because anyone, if you have the opportunity to um, to, to um, to, to if you earn money, you're not going to turn straight into consumer. But what happens is we have to realize that these entertainers they sell us a lifestyle, they sell us a lifestyle of complacency and consumerism. So you know we want to understand. You know we got to understand this thing in totality. You know what I mean? That you know that um. This has anything to do with black or white, you know what I mean? I mean, this has to do with, you know, you know, United States Corporation of America, you know what I mean? And, and understand how that works, and you know what I'm saying? We are we are totally unaware that, you know what I'm saying, this is a business. I mean, just, you know, when you look at, when you look at, you know, there's something going on wrong even in society when, you know, when the national debt is about to tip 20 trillion, and you know, and somebody keeps loaning the country money. You know what I mean? How can you owe someone that much money and not and not pay them back sufficiently, and they keep loaning you money? So you know, we see we have to question everything. You know, and in terms about and then that's when we start. So when we start questioning other things, we start realizing producing the answers of what's wrong with our community. Because it starts outside our community. This was wrong with our community. Our communities are are are, are economic pariahs because the banks won't loan to the businesses in our community. That's a relationship. The banks and the businesses in the community is a reciprocal relationship. The, but the, the, the businesses in the community just deposit their night receipts in the bank. All right. In return, the bank um, loans the businesses money so they could do what expand. But you don't see that happening in our community. You don't see small businesses expanding in our community. So when we want to see there's a problem in our community in terms of why we're not thriving, you can just look straight. You can look straight to to the banks. Uh, D, let me uh, ask you this, and it just popped in my head, and I'd like everybody to to expound upon this if you'd like to. We are dying uh, as multimillionaires. But yet we have done nothing but strive as entertainers. Prince died with millions and millions of dollars. Michael Jackson died with millions and millions of dollars. Um, on and on, you know, I can't remember everybody. James Brown, uh, Ray Charles. When I look at all these people, they had millions of dollars left. You know, and it used to be we talked about uh well, people die poor. There are a lot of people in entertainment who are dying as millions, with millions and millions. Why haven't we done something with that? Why haven't all these people with multi-millions of dollars come together and do something sizable 
on the level that Oprah has. I mean, she has her own network now. You know, but I said, why is she the only one standing out there and doing it by herself when we have so many multimillionaires, Jay-Z and Beyonce, and the list goes on and on, but we're talking about people who are literally dying with billions, millions, hundreds of millions, but yet we have done nothing to stand to. What 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 is with that, uh, D? James, that's a that's an excellent question, and I am always fascinated by that question, and, and that question always comes to mind when I um, look when I seek. Uh, more knowledge on where I am supposed to be doing with my life. And uh, the answer to that question uh, seems to always be that uh, those individuals pull themselves up by their own bootstrap, but they did not associate themselves with persons or people that could enlighten them on the greatness that that they could do greater the things that they could could have done greater than what they did. Um, it has been said that the graveyard is full of geniuses, of, um, of people who did not reach their full potential. And so when these people that you spoke of, when they die, um, they think that, they, that, that that was all that it was. Uh, they seem to think that that was as good as it gets. But had they aligned themselves in in conversation with people of greatness, they would have known that you can take that greatness that you have obtained and show other persons how to obtain greatness also. That That's the greatest riches. The riches is not what you have to show for yourself. It's how you can help somebody else become great also. <laughs> Um, you know, I want to uh, elaborate quickly on something that Miss uh, Regina said, and that is the, probably the answer to your question also. Um, you know, when she said that these people was on this threshold of doing something great, but they can stay focused long enough on what the on what the prize was, and so then they start to subside and fall to the wayside and fall back to their own what old way of doing things. And I think that's the lesson that we have to learn. We have to make ourselves stay focused long enough to bring to fruition the dream that we're trying to reach. And um, and so in, in my better thinking these days, that's what I do all the time. Um, you know, last year um, I, I showed you I spoke with you on 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 the endeavor that I was uh, trying to incorporate on uh, 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 presenting T-shirts. <clears throat> well, at that time, I felt, and 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 this this is other thing of what Mr. Regina was talking about. I felt that my product wasn't good enough, the brand. I felt that it wasn't good enough at that time, and I kind of talked my myself out of even trying to to do it better. So we, you know, I taught myself out of it, but in my studies and in my learning, I come to understand that doing it over is part of the process. Mm-hmm. The redo is part of the process, 
And so with that in mind, uh, I'm going at it fearlessly. I'm taking the, taking the things that I've found flaws in and I'm making it better. And so, uh, and so, yes, staying focused long enough is part of the process, and uh, that's something that we got to do. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it is just um, amazing to me uh, that we're not galvanizing ourselves. We um, have the ability to read about Marcus Garvey. We have the ability to read about all these famous people who who um, tried to enlighten us on how to get to where we want to go, but yet there seems to be so many of us still unwilling to go there. And so uh, it is just, um, I'm not sure, you know, when we hear uh, about these, and, and I just I just put the football players on the spot because their uh, salaries are advertised, but you have these people earning, um, you know, $50 million a year and and uh, two hundred and two hundred and sixteen million for ten years, and and you have all these people out there, and you wonder where are they? You know where are our sharks at? You know we look at the shark tank and all these these people doing. Where are our sharks at? What are our sharks doing uh, to make a difference and make us proud and get us focused? on uh, being a part of what the movement that they're creating. Um, so, Andre, where, where are our sharks at? Why we don't have a group of people that we can turn to and say that they're doing things every day to make life better for African Americans? Because we, because we haven't united and stuck with it, we may start on um, – a path and supporting a certain organization or a certain purpose, and then um, something else will come up and distract us. It, it is something we have to really uh, decide we're going to um, change, Mr. Higgins. Um, you know, we you have to continue to put Marcus Garvey out there so that we can create some new Marcus Garvey's uh, in our society. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you're 100% correct about that. I mean, you know, we need to understand that, you know, we've had, we need to know about the Marcus Garvey's. We need to know about the Noble Jubilees. We need to know about the Deacons for Defense. We need to know about the Gloria Richardson the Queen of the Moors. We need to know about these people. We need to know about all these people who have made these sacrifices, you know, in terms about people could have the comforts that they have now. And, you know, and the lack, you know, and the lack of respect for them is why we're not moving forward. You know, we need to know about the retailers. We need to know about all of these people, you know, and it's a shame that, as if you know, we don't know the names of those people I just mentioned. That's a crime for us as as a people. You know what I mean? And it's not to, to, to shame anyone or, or or anything. It's just that we need to get we need to get our things in order. We need to know about the Georges, the George and Jonathan Jacksons. We need to know about the <coughs> the Geronimo Pratt's. We even need to know about the sellouts, the Darthard Perrys. You know what I mean? We need to know about these people. We need to know our history, and it needs to be, we need to be 
significant. We need to know what's going on. And that's the that's the problem. Like even and one thing about need to know in the nineteen twenty nine stock market crash, the only people that were the one hurt were the no people that knew it was coming. So, you know, knowledge is power and we need to understand that and you know, we need to actively seek it, you know, and on on, on a day to day basis and we need to we need to be the example. You know what I'm saying? So our children see us reading. So our children see us studying. You know what I mean? We need to be the example. We need to, you know, stop hanging out. We, You know, we need to be the, the change that we want to see. We do it ourselves. You do it yourself, and that change, you will see that change. That change will come. You know, that's that's what we have to do. We have to create that change ourselves. We can't allow anyone else to do it for us, you know. Many of the people we see, you know, Malcolm X said, be careful of the, of the Negro that they applaud that they that that you see on television all the time. You know what I mean? The one that the one that's the, the most successful. You know what I mean? He said, "Be careful with that one because that's the one that's the one that's working against you." You know what I mean? And we gotta understand that you know, you know, you know when we you know just like when we see things like you know like um so, so is the Me Too movement and all of a sudden now it's just attention to a sexual assault. Now, when when, it's, when the entertainers happen, when it happens to entertainers, you know what I mean. But what about the what about the children that sexually assaulted on a daily basis? You know what I mean. And what happens to the Black Lives Matter movement? You know what I mean. Like we can't we can't connect our you know our, our what what we do to for, to the trivial to trending things. We have to we have to create a foundation, and we have to be we, you know we have to be grounded and be able to walk the walk and pay the cost. You know what I mean, but you know if, if you stand if you stand the ground, you know success will will will, will render itself in the end. All right, we're going to take a final break, and we'll come back and give everyone an opportunity to have their final word. Jesus, oh Jesus. 
This is James T. Deshay, the host of Thoughts, Love, and Reflections, brought to you seven days a week, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in at 0309 so your voice can be heard loud and clear without interruption. Uh, Cheryl, what is your final thought for this evening? That um, great, great, um, great information, um, Mr. Higgins. Um, as always, we appreciate you being here, um, giving us a little bit more um, information to make us more knowledgeable about, you know, different things. We do appreciate you, and thank you. Thank you. Audrey, your final thought for this evening? As a people, we have a heritage in which we surely can be proud of. We have not arrived yet by no means, but we're not where we have been. But let us make sure that we use the history um, of our forefathers to learn from and, and stand on their shoulders so that those behind us can stand on our shoulders. Um, we have more to do, uh, and it starts with us gaining knowledge and then um, putting our actions behind those uh, endeavors in which we're truly committed and, and passionate about. And thank you to the brother who um, shared so much information with us tonight. All right, Mr. Higgins, your final thought for this evening. Well, I would like to thank everyone for their kind words. Um, I'd like to dedicate tonight's show to um, Ms. Jeanette Saunders. Um, it's a woman, uh, woman from the South Bronx community from Batanzas and um, 146 in Brook Avenue in the Bronx. And she just passed. She's a pillar in the community. And I just want to dedicate tonight's show to uh, in honor of her memory. All right, uh, you know, as always, we want to do those things, uh, Mr. Higgins, because we know that the focus should always be on us as a people. And so those people mm-hmm. who have uh, fought the good fight uh, should be recognized and respected. Uh, so please feel free uh, to do that anytime you like. Well, thank you. All right. All right, we're going to close out the show today and ask everybody to be with us tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, We're going to have a special show on tomorrow. Uh, We're going to do something a little different than we had in the past, but we want to continue to be focused on how we can make our people better, how we can make our country better, and our communities better uh, through working hard and being committed to things that are important. Take care, everybody, and see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Father, help your children and don't let them fall by the side of the road. That heaven might find a place in 
Lift up our hearts. 